Welcome to Drink Something Amazing. My name is Alex Van Amberg. I'm a certified sommelier with the Court of Master Sommeliers and a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. And I'm Christy, the yoga mom. Nice. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that's... That's almost like a wah, wah. <laughs> like Is it? How pretentious is he that he has 16 titles and she has one? Kind oh, of... I don't know. I think yoga mom sounds really pretentious. I don't know. Why? Because it's what you are. You do yoga. You're a mom. You've got all that education. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It is good. It's nice. I like Succinct, it. Succinct to the point. Bullet point. Ba-bam. Um, so anyway, welcome to our podcast. This is, um, it's kind of like date night for Christy and I, uh, we are, um, uh, yeah. Wow. What are we? We are, we are a young married couple, but we're not young anymore. We're not young. That's the hard part. It's like, Ooh, that's the stumbling block. I see us. Thick of it. Yeah. Married couple. Three kids, two dogs, four cats, a lizard, minivan, the whole nine. But we are enthusiastic about wine and about sharing what we know. And that's what this is all about. So we get together. We go through a wine together, uh, and um, I know a little bit something about wine. Christy is learning about wine, uh, but uh, we she's getting better. It's been a while. She's doing better. I have my moments. You do. <laughs> you do have your moments. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to go through a wine. We're going to use what's called the five S's uh, uh, to evaluate the wine. And the whole idea behind this is that wine should not be intimidating. It shouldn't be frightening. And that's what we want to do is we want to take that fear out of it. Because when I first encountered wine, I was terrified of it for 20 years. Terrified of wine. Didn't know how to get a handle on it. So I'm hoping if you're here, you like wine and you want a little more information. And hopefully this helps you learn how to approach wine in a way that gives you a system to figure out what you like and what you don't like about it and use that as a takeaway. If it's not helping and you think something else would, feel free to reach out to me, uh, actually uh, to us. I'm Alex at drinksomethingamazing.com. She's Christy at drinksomethingamazing.com. Feel free to email us with your suggestions, your ideas. If you want us to run a wine by you, anything we can do to help, we're here for you. And you can go to our website, drinksomethingamazing.com. You can reach out to us on uh, Instagram, drinksomethingamazing. And, uh, yeah, not Twitter so much ever since that thing. No. (laughs) But, uh, and, and, yeah, if you uh, give us a like, give us a rating, uh, that certainly helps spread the word. So, yeah, uh, we are here for you to make your experience about drinking wine better, and hopefully it's a reciprocal deal. So, the five S's, the structure is... C. What? C. You see it? Sniff. You sniff it? Good. Sip it. Sip it. Savor it. Savor it. And? Swallow. Or spit, depending. Um, depending on how many wines you're tasting. And the idea is that each of these things assesses a certain quality of the wine and gives you an idea of what you're thinking about. So, and whether you like it or not. There we go. Right. Let's get to it, because right, I see on. it. All right, so we have wine poured in glasses in front of us, about two and a half to three ounces each. Uh, Christy, your wine, what do you see in your glass? pinky yellow it's a peachy color it is a peachy color oh but let me against your desk it's a peachy color and that's again an important put it against a white background so you can see the color more clearly because that's how you are going to judge the wine it's so peachy it's like a grapefruit inside of a grapefruit color because apparently that's a theme for this new season what are we on season four now no (laughs) (laughs) he's adjusting my mic yes i am apparently i don't do it right so what color is the wine again? It's peach. Peach. Okay. It is pink. Um, and I would say it's got a little copper element to it. Like it's a little coppery. Um, yeah, glistening copper. 
So, uh, but yeah, it's a definitely it's got a. I mean, it doesn't have. It a, is a, metallic because it's so shiny. Yeah, this is a great looking rosé. So, um, is there anything floating in it? Is there any like residual stuff? Uh, because the, crystal know, clear. So that means that the wine has been fined or filtered. Like they've they've done a good job of removing all the sediment and everything from it. So you have a very clear, very clean, pristine. Doesn't uh, mean it was rosé wine. It was treated. What do they call it? Sitted, seated. I have no in, idea. <laughs> it was resting in stainless steel. It could have been. Oh. Well, well, I was just thinking that that would be, then there wouldn't be sediment. Well, anytime you let a wine rest, the sediment settles out of it. Uh, so it doesn't, but the type of vessel, it could have been done in concrete, could have been in oak, could have been in any number of things. And those are things that you can learn by smelling it, by sniffing the wine, which is the next step. Okay. Well, it looks metallic, so I guess I was... You can cut that whole thing out. What? The whole stainless steel thing. Why? I don't know. No, it's a really valid point because you're making um, you're making a, a, a logical jump based on what you're seeing. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to use the evidence of what our senses are telling us. And what you're seeing, it's hard to tell if something was done in stainless or oak or concrete or in a Right, you can't see that. You can't see that. Okay. You can tell by smell because oak has certain tells and the, the lack of oak tells you things. And sometimes I think you can tell smell like concrete because it smells more minerally. Like wet cement. It can sometimes, depending on how they line the tank or if they line the tank. So on the nose, okay. this wine is... Light, flowery, pretty, not very strong. Nope, not very potent, very light on the nose, but I mean, there's, there's, there's certainly floral elements to it. It's like a green meadow. It smells like light, um, I mean, I wouldn't say like red flowers, but like, again, I'm going to go to white flowers, like things that smell slightly green, like, Mm -hmm. um, like, like daisies have a slightly... No, daisies smell like stink. Okay. Yeah, like skunk stink. This is not that then. I'm not no. very good with flowers. This is not my department. <laughs> but like red flowers like frequently gardenia smell very sweet. smells really good. Okay. So, but this smells like a, like a lighter floral scent, not a richer. So I tend to think right. of red flowers as being a deeper, richer rose-colored smell, like very perfumey. And white flowers I tend to think of as being a lighter floral scent, more like apple blossom. Uh, apple blossom. Like- there, that's the one. And so it's a lighter scent like that. It's mm-hmm. not that super potent, jasmine-y, uh, overwhelming right, smell. Right, right. So very light floral notes to it. Whiter, lighter floral notes. A um, little bit of fruit on the nose as well. So, I mean, this is... Uh, so what we have is a, is a pink copper wine with uh, very light floral notes, um, maybe hints of citrus, and a little bit of red fruit on the nose. And that's what I'm getting. Yep. All right. On to the palate. All right. Sipping the wine. Yay. I think after the popcorn, it was just a shock. I think the popcorn didn't do me any favors. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I'm going to try it again. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, when you haven't had wine in a while and when you're at a tasting, sometimes the first taste is just for free because the pure acidity of it and the, um, and the, the, it, it just, it's such a shock to the palate that it's almost like you... You have to wash your palate first to kind of um, to it reset it. It wakes you up. It is bright and happy. It's a bright, happy wine. Mm-hmm. 
and there is, I think there's a lot of acidity and it does, I mean, that first sip really is like a wash of, you know, when you have that first Coca-Cola in the morning, that ice cold Coca-Cola and the acidity of it just kind of cleanses your tongue and, you know, in your cheeks, that, that, that carbonated acidic feeling. That's kind of what this wine has is that, that cleansing, washing acidity. And it's, it's good. It's more acidic than I, than I would, would have assumed from the smell. Right. Sorry, I think I'm turning my head away. Well, like singing uh, in the rain. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's work on talking across the microphone. Across the microphone. <laughs> I know. I don't even know what I don't know what I'm looking at over there. I don't. You're either. not even over there. <laughs> nope. Look at your bill, bookshelf. Yeah. Like I'm really in, too much family. I'm uncomfortable with eye contact. It was a long weekend. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's let's get that out of the way. If our energy seems a little weird right now, it's because we just spent the last four days absolutely inundated in family. Our oldest boy seeping uh, in family. <laughs> just had a birthday. We just had a graduation from high school. We had lots of family around, and we're social people. But wow. It was a lot of social and a very intense family experience. Lovely family experience, but intense. Lots of changes with yeah, and it just takes you know it takes the piss. The parental right figures becoming older and yeah, us switching roles and yeah, it was a lot. It's yeah, life life happens, and that's what the wine is also for. We're the parents now. Ting. Here's the wine, <laughs> making those making those long weekends a little less, a little more uh, bearable. Oh, I know, and I could only have one glass of wine while they were here. I know, being being a grown up's always awkward. Being a grown up around the grown ups, being so, the grown up in a room of grown ups, that's new. That is new. I don't know how to handle that. So on the palate, let's okay, let's drag fine. this back to the wine. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I like it. Okay. What grapefruit. You... And again, I go to grapefruit. Okay. Well, and is that because of the citrus or the acidity or I think because the great the acidity, because the grapefruit, pink grapefruit hits me in the same place on my tongue. This sounds so weird. That this does. So it's like mid to back tongue. Okay. That's not weird at all because different your mouth gets hit with different acidities in different places. That's completely accurate. Okay. So that's actually a good thing to know where you're getting hit with acidity and um, and, and to know because then you're going to have similarities there and it's going to actually give you ideas about um, going forward what the wine might be. Chardonnay. You might, uh, okay. Good enthusiasm. <laughs> no, because it's A little pink, pink for that. <laughs> but so what we're not getting on the nose, um, so uh, touching back briefly, so we're not getting on the nose, what we're not getting on the palate is a lot of vanilla. No. Um, so we're not, and that would kind of eliminate oak or any new oak. It might be super old oak because it doesn't, old oak doesn't give flavors. So this is very clean. No baking clean. spices. No baking spices. It's very clean. Um, it is very light fruit, uh, like, um, like, like almost green strawberries, uh, like, um, like, like very fresh yeah. raspberries. The flavor is very light. Um, and it's very clean acidity on there, very crisp, a little bit of, um, citrus notes in the background, but, um, almost like Mandarin citrus notes, not like, Oh, that's good. Not that. Yeah. I get that Mandarin. Not the sharpness of a lemon or the, or the, you know, the, the Mm -hmm. the greenness, the roughness of a lime, but like a Mandarin orange or Clementine. Yeah. It's really good. So really good, really refreshing, uh, and, and, and lovely, uh, rosé. It's bright. It's just, it's bright. It's Happy. It's a bright, happy wine. And when you swallow it, there's not a lot of burn on it. So I'm going to say this is a fairly low alcohol rosé too. Mm-hmm. So um, given all those elements, the fact that it's soft on the nose, it's light on the palate, uh, what do you think this wine is? Do you think it's old world, new world? 
a rosé. It is a rosé. You are well done. Absolutely Thank right. Thank you. Um, I'm going to say California, New okay. World. Sure. I don't know why. No, absolutely. I'm, I mean, something's going to, you're going to, there's a reason for those impulses and we can dive down into what makes you say those things. But I think if you think about it a little longer um, and, and really it, like the nose is really not fruit forward. So it doesn't have a lot of flour. It doesn't have a lot of fruit on it. It doesn't have a lot of sweetness on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a fairly low sugar, uh, low old sweetness world. wine. Then it's old world, right? Um, because a lot of times older <laughs> world wines don't have that that um, that Americanization that Americanization of sweetness. That it comes from such warm, growing climates that we thrive in here. Right. So um, and and it's not really high um, like peaks of fruit and sour here. So really, this is actually an old world rosé. You're actually yeah, right. Totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it this nailed time. It. Well done. Thank you. Well done. So um, and actually, it's an older old world rosé, which is one of the reasons why the flavors are also a little muted. This is a 2018 by Ott rosé from Domain Ott, um, and the name is by B Y Ott O T T. Because okay. the state is is Domain Ott. Okay. And uh, by Ott, this is their second line. So this is a rosé by Ott. But it's not one of their um, one of their estate rosés. So this is actually an old world one that comes from down in um, the south of France. And um, near Nice, near Marseille. Uh, on the Provencal coast there. Uh, near one of your favorite places in the world. Near one of my very favorite places in the world now. Yeah. I've visited there. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is, uh, yeah, this is a lovely rosé. Um, and the fact that it's an older rosé is kind of mitigated by the fact that it came in a larger format bottle. This actually came in a 1.5 uh, liter bottle, which is twice the normal size. And things that, wines that are stored in a larger format, because they have less surface area exposed to oxygen, as opposed to a smaller format bottle, they age slower. Oh, okay. So the larger the bottle, the slower the aging. So that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons if you have the money to invest in a Magnum or to invest in a Jeroboam or a larger format wine that you think you might want to have with a larger group of people later, that's why those make sense because they age um, oftentimes twice as long. I longer. thought they were just a marketing ploy. They can be, but originally they, I mean, the thing is, is that you're paying less for the glass. You're getting a lot more. And generally the prices for the, what you're getting in the wine, you're actually paying less than if you'd bought a similar number of single bottles at the same hmm. price. It's actually, it can be a bargain and it's got more aging potential, which means that you can, right. you know, if you're going to buy a bottle and save it for when your kid graduates high school, for instance, um, it needed to last for 20 years uh, or 18 years. A larger format bottle would make more sense than a smaller format. You stand a better chance of it lasting that long. So really, um, really kind of a cool wine, really kind of a cool format. The um, the best thing about Domain Ott that I really like yes. is actually the, um, it, it, it brings back our favorite word. Uh, and I'll Uh-oh. get to that in a second because phylloxera. There you go. Because this guy, <laughs> uh, with the guy who, who um, uh, I forget his name, but blah blah blah, Ott is his last name. Back in uh, the 1870s, was actually um, in, uh, a, a horticultural student. Went to university in the Alsace to learn about uh, horticulture. And he went on a tour of a bunch of different vineyards and he knew that he wanted to do something he didn't know what. And he found himself, he finally found the right land that called out to him when he was down in Provence. And he found this estate, this wine growing estate that was literally a stone throws away from the Mediterranean and fell in love with it. The only problem was 
is that Phylloxera had just swept through the region. Oh, no. And so he was able to get the vineyard cheaper, but they still didn't have a solution for the problems. And so he was actually right on the cusp of finding that solution to dealing with the, the, the pest phylloxera uh, and, and replanting those vineyards. And so he set out to grow estate rosé wines, estate reds, estate whites, rosés in Provence, uh, right at the, that cusp when phylloxera was finally being defeated in France back in 1890. Okay. Which, um, and the, the winery's been run by the family ever since. That's really cool. So three generations. And so what he did was he actually, there's three separate estates. There's Clomerel, there's Clorapmussen, and then there's another one. And they all have different soil types, and they're all located relatively near each other. And they each produce a rosé, and they each produce, one of them produces a red wine. One of them also produces a white wine. One of them produces a red, a white, and a rosé. And they uh, they take for the buy-out line um, because, candidly, these rosés get stupid expensive. Like, the cost of them is around $65 for wow. a regular bottle of rosé from one of these estates. Wow. Sometimes they get up to 90 because they're that niche. They're that boutique. But the buy-out wines get down to about 20 25 So they're, you know, much more affordable rosé because they collect grapes from two separate estates and they also have an arrangement with an additional grape grower um, nearby uh, who they've had a partnership with for decades Mm -hmm. and so they supplement the grapes from that so um, really an interesting rosé and the color also is something that we don't see a lot of in the states because it's very coppery I've never seen a rosé this color that I can remember it's really pretty it looks like the pink gold jewelry which is really yeah like the rose gold that you rose get for gold. like like the, yes. the the apple rose gold that mm-hmm. they use for it does look that's a good call it looks a lot like that mm-hmm. um and part of that is different you use different uh, grapes to get different um rosé f- styles and rosé flavors like it's really popular in Oregon obviously to make a rosé out of pinot noir because they oh, grow a lot yeah, of pinot noir I knew that obviously yeah, t- 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 obviously t- t- um, and in uh, Italy, they will make rosés out of Sangiovese uh, because they have a lot of Sangiovese. So um, in California, they uh, obviously white Zinfandel is a rosé of Zinfandel grapes that they make. So there's you can make Zinfandel, you can make rosé out of Cab, you can make it out of almost any grape, a red skinned grape, and you're going to get a different flavor and different nuance from it because the way you make a rosé is you actually take, there's a couple different ways, and one of them is you make it just like you'd make a red wine, and you leave the skins and the white juice in contact for just a short period of time before you drain the juice off, mm-hmm. and you end up with this lightly inflected white juice mm-hmm. that has picked up some of the tannins, some of the color, some of the flavor profile from the skins, but the rest of it is just the juice expressing itself. Uh, or you can do what's called the Saunier method, which is if you want to make a super intense red wine, you make the red wine like you normally would, but then you bleed off part of the juice at the beginning of the process and it's pink juice like you would do to make a rosé. And then you leave the rest of that wine and those skins in contact to make a super intense wine because you're getting twice as much skin contact because you have half as much juice in there now. Oh, that's cool. So you make a really intense Zinfandel, for instance, and then you take your other pink wine and you turn that into a white Zinfandel, which is hmm. how Sutterholm made their fortune because right. that was he was trying to make a very intense Zinfandel and he ended up accidentally making a really sweet white Zinfandel that took the world by storm. Oh, I was all there for that. That was my first wine 
which we know because we've done a podcast on. If you go, if you throw it in the Wayback Machine, you can find it. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's. I think it was called the American Classic. Was the name of that episode. And editor's note, the third way you'd make a rosé is by adding a batch of red wine to an existing batch of white wine until you have the color and flavors that you wanted. So this one is actually a blend of um, a Provencal um, Southern Province grapes. Because in the south of Province, you have about 30-some-odd red grapes you can grow and another 15 white that are all allowed to be in blends in Provence. And so this is actually the predominant one is Grenache. And Grenache is a very, it's, it's called Grenache in Spain. Uh, it's Grenache in, in the Rhone. And this is an incredibly popular uh, grape. It has great floral characteristics. There's a lot of strawberry in it. So this is 58% Grenache, 30% Cinceau, 10% Syrah, and 2% Mouvedre. And what Mou- is Cinceau? I don't know if I've... Cinso is, a, is I remember a, that one anyway. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Uh, it's not a grape that I'm actually familiar with, so I'm going to have to look it up in one second because I can tell you about Syrah because Syrah, obviously, we've all had a, well, I don't know, I'm going to assume lots of people have had Syrah and Syrah has a pepperiness to it and a spiciness and you let it age, it gets kind of a bacony quality to it. And it's a really deep, intense red wine. So you get a lot of those peppery elements and a lot of those, um, a lot of spice and blackberry from Syrah. With Mouvedre, it's almost an umami wine because it's um it's a uh, it's the 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 skins are much more dense and much more uh, they lend a lot more tannic structure to mm. a wine and so the wines Grenache, Syrah, and Mouvedre make the classic blend of a of a GSM, which is what most of the wines in southern France are okay. in Provence and in southern Rhone. Since uh, so, however, that's a great question on what that one adds to the wine. So we're going to find out right boop, now using boop, my lovely boop, wine volley book. Boop, 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 boop. So, boop, boop, we're going to look boop, up since so. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> that's very helpful. <laughs> Thank you. You can you can edit it out. You have time. Shannon, since so, here we go. So since so is a grape that has a medium low acidity, medium low alcohol, low body, and low tannins. It's a minor blending grape in the Rhone, and it um it adds flavors of raspberry, red currant, tart oh, cherry, violet, it. and black tea. You got it. I think the violet I see more than white flowers. I know you use the word white flowers, and I don't know if that's a wine word or your word, but I think what you brought up a really good point about white flowers is a lot of white flowers are very intense. Like jasmine is very intense. Gardenia is very intense. Right. A white rose is very intense. So I don't think that the color of the flower has a lot to do with the with the um, aroma or the taste if it's an edible. So I think that um, that it would more be like a rich uh, smelling flower. I do like the apple blossoms, but then there's cherry blossoms as well, which are very lightly scented. And they're pink, and apple blossoms are white and pink. So I'm just, you know... No, those are throwing down my gardening. That's skills. and that's where you're very useful because that's an area where you have some expertise. Um, and so when it comes to flowers and stuff, I really have an ignorance because you know I was born and raised in Alaska and we had two months to grow things. Right. So everything um, that we got in the in the store was stuff that had been shipped up from the states. So frequently it was like the scent is one of the first things to go on flowers, particularly when they've been refrigerated. Mm-hmm. So most of my scent smell lexicon comes from things like 
my sister making a Barbie perfume oh. thing, and they're all way too intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actual flowers, I really should spend more time actually exploring actual flowers and where the scents come from. Right, because a violet has a very light, lovely scent, but it's very light. And um, and I think that, that just reading that, violet makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. White mm-hmm. flowers. And apple blossom, it has a scent, too. It's pretty light, but violet is really light. That's good to know. And violets are, well, often purple. Well, and I think that that part of the, the, the tricky part about communicating what you smell is that we're trying to use words that we all agree yes. with. And, um, and and a lot of times when it comes to floral notes, I'm coming at it from the wrong, because I've learned all my floral notes from what people tell me I'm getting in wine. Oh, so I'm coming at it backwards. Whereas I should spend time actually exploring flowers and then identifying the flowers that I smell in the wine. Right. And so that's, that's a really interesting note that I hadn't even considered until this point. Mm-hmm. So I did that with vegetables. Like I smelled a lot of vegetables. And then yeah. I would know, recognize what those smells are in wine. And the, you know, and everyone has smelled bacon. And you don't right. you don't go to a you don't get a bacon scented something, you get bacon and you yeah. smell it. So you can tell when that's in a wine. So that's really interesting. And florals well, and now that I have like peony would be a really good one too. Like if you're if you're not if your nose isn't right in the peony, if you're away from it, kind of like wine, then it has that light scent. Um, when it's distant, but now that I have, you know, a really beautiful garden full of flowers, you could come on out with me some night while I'm watering and pinching off. Wow. Wow. Well, there, it's a, I it's think you a gardening, what pinching it's a off is in a gardening term because it's a gardening term. out there in the garden, pinching it off. Uh, okay. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to drink something amazing. <laughs> well, I don't know if they do this with grapes, but with flowers, when they grow to be a certain height, like, and they have to have a certain amount of leaves on them. And just before they bud, you clip them about halfway or um, a third of the way so that they branch out more so that they bloom more. So that if you're doing cut flowers that they, um, it's, it's really counterintuitive to go, you see the bud or you see the beginning where the bud's going to go. And, and then you cut it, you cut it down cut it from 12 inches to eight inches and it's like huh well, it's um, awful <laughs> with grapevines they do actually they, they do the opposite of that because they don't want it to be overproductive oh they okay. want to really focus the productivity so they'll go through and they'll they'll cut off all the other spurs until you only have one or two. Oh, and then they're gonna really focus and then they'll go and they'll, they'll they'll pick off all the i guess they will pinch off all the additional buds to really focus the energy into a certain amount of clusters per vine because ah. they really want to direct that energy there. Same thing with managing the canopy is what they call it, on how many leaves they allow it to have and how much sunshine they're going to allow the grapes to have. So there's real... There okay, is, there's, there's a science to that. But or, it's or opposite of flower production because with flowers, if you're doing cut flowers, you want more flowers. Right. Yeah. And with this, you really want to, you really want a certain amount of things to flower and to pollinate. So it'll really direct the energy into driving those bunches of grapes because it's it's a it's not a the flowers are driving a fruit as opposed to the flowers being the ultimate expression of the plant. Right. So really interesting. Cool. Yeah, that is interesting. So, so anyway, you can join me in the garden to pinch it off. Sounds terrible. Okay, I know, and I said it again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's. You. 
I don't know. Can't maybe help you yourself, should, can you? You should cut that out. Yeah, maybe. No. <laughs> so anyway, that's the summary on this one. The wine today has been by Ott, by Domain Ott. It is a 2018 Provencal Rosé, and it goes for an average of about $24. So a well-reviewed wine. Um, this vintage isn't currently available in a lot of places, but you can get the 2022 for about 26 bucks. Oh, Yay. and something that's really cool about this is that um, because Provence was so... Uh, was established originally by the Romans. The bottle shape on this one's a really cool-looking, ornate bottle shape. So if you get a, a the, the estate rosés, it's almost like an amphora. Oh, cool! And what is the, an amphora? An amphora, if you think of the Asterix comic books, it was a or it, it was a clay vessel that was oh, designed right. with a point at the bottom, and it comes out to a broad shoulder, almost in a heart shape, with a narrow neck and two handles at the top. Yes. And that's how the Romans used to ship wine and olive oil and lots of things. That was their barrel. Um, of the Roman Romantic times. And so there is broken amphorae all over in mm-hmm. the south of France. And so as a tribute to that and to being a Provencal rosé, uh, the, 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 the original Hugo Ott gentleman, I believe his name is Hugo now, uh, is, <laughs> was it designed the bottle to reflect that amphoric shape. So the bottle has a narrower bottom and swells up to a broader shoulder with a narrow neck. It's a beautiful bottle. The by Ott bottle is a, is a hybrid between that amphoric shape and a regular Bordeaux bottle. So it, it really a lot of attention has been given, not just to the wine in the bottle, but the bottle itself. And I saw you take a picture of it upstairs. It's re- it really is. It's a beautiful wine. It's a beautiful bottle. Beautiful flavor. So if you're interested in this wine, you can take this information. It'll be in the podcast notes and you can go to your favorite local wine shop. You can go to like, if you live in Spokane, you can go to Vino or Huckleberries or Wanderlust Delicato and say, hey, I want this wine. And they'll look at the notes and they'll talk with you about it and they'll arrange to get it brought in. If you don't live in an area where you have an amazing local wine shop, that's cool too. I'm going to put in a link to wine.com so you can order the most recent vintage from them. Uh, but I, you know, I, I always say shop globally, but buy locally. Support your local economy. Support your local small businesses. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because it drives that relationship between you and a wine professional locally, who's going to get to know you and what you like and can help you make better choices all the time. And it's so fun to go into a wine shop. And have a charcuterie and a wine and experience a new place and just, you know, enjoy the fact that we can go out and we can, you know, there's a fellowship there. Yeah, there is. And there's and you know that maybe you won't talk to the people next to you, but at least you know that they're they're kind of a second glass. Or well, <laughs> one and a half for me. <laughs> or really, right when I get in the door, I'll talk Fair to enough. them. Yeah. So, well, and that's—I mean—that's really the beautiful thing about wine is that I mean, we listen to our podcasts on our own, and we're alone in the world, and and um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that to have these isolated moments. We all need that. But wine is such a unifying thing. It comes in a bottle with at least four glasses in it, and that, unless you're me, is meant to be shared. So you know, if <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the idea that finding a wine that you can enjoy with someone else and sharing that. Wine's a communal experience, and, and, and so getting out there to a local wine shop or a local place where you find enough fellow wine enthusiasts and you can start sharing these experiences and share the podcast, that's a great thing to do, <laughs> and I, think I highly encourage it. However, if you're in an environment where you, you can't do that and you need to have your wine delivered to your home, I 100% recommend wine.com. I'm a big fan of theirs. I used to work for them, full disclosure. They don't pay me anything, but... I think they're a cool resource because you can buy, you can like, it's kind of like the Amazon of wine because you can pay for shipping once 
for the year using their whatever the program was. I forget now. But it basically it's 50 bucks for free shipping throughout the entire year. And then whenever you find anything that you like, you add it to your cart. When you get six bottles or whatever, just send it to yourself. Shipping's free all year round. That's awesome. That's a great deal. So can't argue with that. So anyway, the, the, the main aunt... Buy Ought Rosé 2018, 13% alcohol by volume, 26 bucks. Go out and get a bottle. Uh, and if you like this podcast, go ahead and click on the link. Give us a like. Give us a rating. Give us a review. If you don't like the podcast, go ahead and email us. I'm Alex at drinksomethingamazing.com. It's Christy at drinksomethingamazing.com. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you think. And until then, put some great wine in your glass, pop in the earbuds, and go drink something amazing.